The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz/donate. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by Spark Lab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about Spark Lab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. 40 minutes south of Auckland, you'll find the Clevedon Farmers Markets on every Sunday with a bustling collection of local growers, farmers and artisan food suppliers. And while all of this is a firm favourite now, it wasn't that long ago it was nothing but an inkling in the mind of today's guest. Helen Dorestein had seen the trend towards farmers markets overseas and thought we should be able to do that here too. She went around the neighbourhood, got support from the locals and set up the farmers markets. However, there was one thing she couldn't find, a great local cheesemaker. So her husband, an industrial electrician, decided to put his hand up to fill the gap and they thought they'd try to make that lovely buffalo cheese they'd so enjoyed in Italy. How hard could it be? Well, quite hard as it turned out but very rewarding. Since creating the Clevedon Buffalo Company, they've gone on to win multiple awards, become a mainstay in our best kitchens, and one of the anchors of the still-thriving Clevedon markets today. To talk making things happen, the journey, and cheese, co-founder Helen Dorestein joins me now. G'day, kia ora, good morning. Good morning, Simon. Hey, so tell me, it started first with the farmer's market. How did that come about? Like, um, what, what were you doing before that? Well, I, I was an art teacher um, at Papakura High School and I had a family and couldn't job share at that point and didn't really want to relieve because I, li- I liked my, my little class of kids. So I needed a kitchen table business I could work around my children. We took the kids away before Hugo started school around the South Island and ate from all these wonderful country markets. Came back to Clevedon, I was growing a bit of stuff, couldn't find good produce and uh, couldn't sell my spare produce or get rid of it all. And um, I thought, you know, bingo, I'd seen farmers markets overseas and we didn't have one. And we were this wonderful rural uh, community right on the edge of Auckland. It it was just, it seemed like a a no-brainer. How did you go about setting it up? Because, you know, it takes uh, land, a whole lot of people to all be organised, get the word out. What was the journey to make it happen? Well, at the time, I had, I think, about $10,000 saved up because we needed a new kitchen. And so we've still got the same kitchen. 
I used that uh, I used that money to to put ads in all the papers. I got a really good logo. Uh, a friend of mine's husband did it for me for free, which was really kind of him. And I had a meeting in the church hall, and I I just went round the neighbourhood throwing my business card and introductory letter into all these growers' letter boxes, and blow me down, they turned up. I did a slide presentation, borrowed my friend's computer. Um, nervous, I was nervous as a cat on hot bricks, but uh, I stood up and managed to convince these people that this was the way forward. So I had people like um, Clevedon Herbs and Produce were there. So they at the time were growing uh, one or two varieties, maybe three varieties of lettuce for supermarkets. Now they grow a huge range of things um, and supply lots and lots of restaurants and lots of markets. So they came along and they, and, and they were reasonably inspired and, and uh, I think it was three or four months later we started the market and the first day we were completely sold out by 10 o'clock. People just loved it. Um, and then the next week you could shoot a gun through the place, there was no one there. <laughs> so it took a while, lots of advertising in that first year, um, lots of signage, lots of events. I did pumpkin growing competitions for years and uh, food competitions and wine on Sunday with the local vineyards, lots and lots of hard work. I did a newsletter every week, which I put in all the letter boxes. I did that for about five five years until I went into the where the post boxes are in Cleveland and I saw thousands of my newsletters in the rubbish bin and I thought, <laughs> that's a waste of time. <laughs> now I do a lot of that sort of thing on um, Facebook and so on. But it did get the word out and it did slowly build by about 10% a year to, to the magnificent thing it is today. I mean, it's vibrant. It suits all sorts of people. Everybody comes, you know, from from uh, 101 to 1 <laughs> or, or, or in, yeah, I've seen I've seen families grow up. You know, it's been 14 years it'll be this October and I've seen children literally go from mum's tum to, you know, to working for me. It's quite nice. And it's so cool, the kind of growth and uh, the lift in the local producer game as well, because we'll get to uh, the Buffalo uh, Cheese Company, but, um, you know, people like Curious Croppers and, yeah. and I Love Pies. These amazing successes that trace oh, I, back to, to the markets. Absolutely. And that's one of the, the sheer joys of it is seeing seeing something start as a fledgling business and go boom. Um, the croppers are personal friends and they used to hide from me when I came up to ask them to join the market <laughs> and I finally <laughs> broke them down and they love it. And they now grow this massive variety of heritage um, tomatoes which are celebrated throughout the country as they should be. There, there needs to be more recognition of, of, of good growing and I also think we're going to find that with growing um, we'll start to talk about regional differences in produce because once you start to eat beautiful ve- growing vegetables that are fresh, you start to, to notice their flavour profile. I mean, it sounds like something you only talk about with wine, but in cheese. But actually, it's in it's in our produce too, and that's where it, that it's, it's it's so exciting where it's going to go. And also, I've got lovely people like I've got this wonderful girl who um, forage and ferment Kelly, and she makes these wonderful sauerkrauts. Now, they take a bit of getting used to, but once you start to put a bit of kraut through your salad. It's just lovely. It just picks the whole thing up. Um, yeah, so it's very exciting. I love food. Just love it. And, and I love pies that started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Started as, yeah. as, as one weekend at the markets and now it's, I went it's to huge. Art, I went to art school with her, the, one of the girl's sisters and uh, we were great friends at art school. And then one day this um, uh, uh, girl... Uh, 
pops into the market with these just back from England and says you can't get a decent pie in New Zealand I'm going to make a good pie um, and they did this wonderful thing with I think sour cream in the pastry and they just rocked out the door um, and lots of things this Cully started with us uh, I remember Chris coming with a couple of bags with sauces and you know and we just liked him instantly he's a good guy you know um, Richard and I have made a lot of friends and seen a lot of yeah, and you get a lot of support. Like we get support from them as well. It's not a one-way street. Um, yeah, I've got I've got like I've got a lady who's got quails out there now. She's doing these gorgeous little quails eggs, and um, yeah, I'd like to see her go out into the hospitality industry as well. So there's a lot to do. And over the, you know, so so we've kind of jumped forward in the, <clears throat> in the years, but right back at the beginning, uh, at the same time that all of these amazing businesses have grown from uh, having that connection with customers and, and being part of the food scene, uh, right back at the beginning, you found you couldn't get a cheesemaker then. No, no, I had one at the beginning, but it was rained, they wouldn't show up. And to get that market going, I needed the cornerstones of a good meal every, every week. Um, how I did that actually was I, I didn't, I bought all my food at the market, so my kids, you know, they didn't have chicken for two years. <laughs> it was a rough ride. Um, but yes, no cheese, and and Rich and I would lie in bed and we'd talk about it, and um, he eventually broke, broke him down. He said, I'll make cheese for you, darling. And he just said, I'll do it. And then we thought about it a great deal, and we thought, well, um, you can get great goat's milk cheese, great Sheep's milk cheese, great cow's milk cheese in New Zealand, but you can't get buffalo. And we also knew, because we'd been to Italy, that buffalo cheese, mozzarella, needs to be fresh. Mm. Fresh buffalo mozzarella, fresh ricotta, there's nothing quite like it. And you can't import fresh buffalo cheese. It's, you just can't do it. So for us, that was that was the key ingredient to being able to make a success of it, to have the actual fresh buffalo milk in New Zealand. Um, yeah. Were there many buffalo around? <laughs> well, MAF bought in, I believe MAF bought in a whole lot of swamp buffalo, which is slightly different in the 70s. They were looking at, um, 70s or 80s, they were looking at meat production because buffalo meat's really good. Um, but there were no milking buffalo. We bought the first milking buffalo into the country. Um, so, so, yeah, there were buffalo, but not our particular kind. And is that the kind of thing you find out once you decide to start making buffalo cheese? Oh, there, there aren't any buffalo. <laughs> well, we, we got online. We worked out that we needed these riverine, Mediterranean riverine buffalo. And then we started Googling and we came across a guy called Buffalo Bill in Darwin who had crossed swamp buffalo in the Northern Territories with purebred uh, Mediterranean riverine buffalo. And... Um, so we got in touch with him, and and within two weeks we were flying to Darwin, which was just so strange to be in Auckland one minute, and Darwin's quite different and so far away, and quite interest, quite interesting, quite um, oh, it's like a whole different world. There's a quote, and I wonder if it's true, uh, attributed to Paul Keating, where he said that the best way, while while he was. A Prime Minister of Australia, the best way to see Darwin was from the plane on the way to Paris. <laughs> yeah, oh gosh. It's fascinating. The, the thing about the place is that for half the year it's dry, dry as anything, and in the other half of the year it's flooded and you've got grass taller than taller than you. Um, and Full of crocodiles. Yeah, well we got there and Bill said, I'll meet you at Adelaide River 
and uh, get a four-wheel drive, and we couldn't afford one because a big four-wheel drive there was so much to rent. So we got a we got the old Ford Fairlane, cruised down to Adelaide River, which was just a a dusty old shop with a whole lot of old diggers sitting outside smoking and drinking in a swinging fly screen door, you know. And there's Bill when he was this hunched up little nut brown wizened old boy with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and he was just charming. A Kiwi from birth took us back to his farm and he said, it's a shame you didn't hire a four-wheel drive and we'll have to take the old bitch, he said. And he had in the back, in the back paddock, this four-wheel drive Suzuki, little Suzuki held together by bits of string. I was sitting in the back, I could see the wheel turning under me and we went out onto this property and he said, oh, there's a salty in that one, you know, meaning a, a crocodile, and we're going through it, and I'm looking at the ground thinking I'm going to get bitten. And then we started to see all these uh, bent 44-gallon uh, drums and gates and so on, and it was his buffalo playing, you know, just and, – and we got to this incredibly feral herd of buffalo, and I just looked at Rich and said, oh, I'm not milking them. <laughs> they're, they're, they were massive, and they were they were not – tame or domesticated and um, or anyway long story short we ended up buying five of Bill's yeah, yeah, it, 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 you didn't think oh maybe sheep milk sheep milk <laughs> sounds like a good idea well there's an issue with that my <laughs> husband's six foot seven okay yeah, he's yeah. not going to milk sheep yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> just wasn't yeah. going to happen um, no Bill fortunately introduced us to a guy called Barry Lemke who then was heading up the Northern Terries, Territories government's Buffalo Project, and he that so they had started a meat initiative, and uh, with the Arnhem Land, uh, they'd set up and they were going to do an uh, abattoir there and do tender buff because buffalo meat's gorgeous, but they just couldn't, from a marketing perspective, break into the big three. You know, pork um, and chicken and beef didn't work. So he had this massive herd of of, of half swamp, half Mediterranean buffalo. Because um, that produces a really beautiful eye fillet and so on, um, and he thought, well, what am I going to do? Well, I'll start creating a milking herd. So he started to AI for uh, genetics for, towards the Mediterranean. So he had a mob of fifteenth, uh, sixteenth, and seven eighth uh, pure riverine milking buffalo, and we grabbed sixty head of those and went through the protocols. Um, quarantine everything and flew them into the country. That's a huge undertaking before you've ever made a single ball of mozzarella. It was a bit silly. (laughs) (laughs) And and had you you, before you went through all that, had you tried making uh, the cheese? Had you, you know, what was the... See, this is the thing we had, but... There's a there's a party trick mozzarella, which is where you just acidify milk and you make it in like half an hour. It's nothing like the cultured process that we go through to make true mozzarella. But this is that. So we'd done that and we thought, oh, well, that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the actual true process um, is a lot more detailed, and we actually went to Italy to learn that. But yes, bringing in the buffalo, it was a bit foolhardy and we'd done some back of the envelope figures and we knew what buffalo mozzarella sold for in, in New Zealand and so we thought, well, we should be able to do that. Um, but we didn't realise how little milk we get out of our initial animals because they were 15, 16, 7, 8. So when we started milking, we were getting three litres a day which twice the solids of cow's milk, but three litres a day, it was nothing. And we started milking five animals initially in the shed. 
Now we're averaging seven, seven litres. We're looking, we're, you know, they, some of them start off giving us about 13 litres, which is magnificent. We're, we're gunning for nine litres a day average, which will give us a good volume of milk. We now have a great volume, but we've still got more to go. Yeah. And how did you go about growing the market here for the product? Because no one, you know, no one else was producing fresh buffalo mozzarella. Like, um, no. Yeah. Well, it was really quite funny actually because people would look at you and they'd go, "Buffalo," you know, like, "Oh, I'm not eating that." It's kind of one of those words that you can smell. Yeah. That's quite right. You're quite right. And yet the milk is so delicate. You wouldn't believe that such a delicate, sweet, um, just beautiful. It's a beautiful milk. It doesn't. It's. It's not. It. It doesn't leave any uh, cloying or fatty taste in your mouth. It's really delicate. You wouldn't believe that it comes out of a buffalo, um, but it does. And so yes, there was a lot of tastings and a lot of uh, talking. I had some really good help from people. People like, um, uh, you know, the good restaurants. They all put us on straight away. They called me in. And it was nerve-wracking, but they'd try it and they'd go, wow, mm. you know, and they'd put you on straight away. Um, people like Tony Astle at Antoine's. Peter Gordon was one of the first people I met. He was lovely. He put our cheese straight into dine, mm. you know. We're still in Sky City and Gusto. Sean Connolly's really good to us. SPQR, just these stalwart restaurants that, that brought us on and just helped us get a foothold in the marketplace. And yeah, just a lot of tasting, a lot of talking to people. We were very lucky very early on. We had a wonderful article and dish. And then Country Calendar picked us up too, which was really good for us um, because the whole country then knew that A, there were buffalo in the country and yeah, the cheese wasn't too bad. And have you helped other farmers get on board with buffalo? Um, there are a couple of other um, people, but you know, we have, we, we do talk, but it's not really, I mean, not really much you can do. It's a, it's a, you've just got to get in there and do it. You know, if if you want to go, it go into Buffalo. And I think the hard thing is to do it all from pasture to breeding to animal husbandry to building a cheese factory to making cheese to selling, marketing a cheese, cooking with the cheese, talking about the cheese. You've got to do everything. Did you come from a farming background, Helen? No, but you know... And, when, and Richard as well? Or? No, neither of us. Well, <laughs> so doing, Rich, doing all that without any farming background? Well, yeah, but we were practical. Richard's parents um, grew tomatoes in Taupo, and um, one of his mum Top's favourite stories was that Mr Water used to come to her for his tomatoes <laughs> for his own, for his batch, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. So she said the roller used to pull up the driveway and Mr Water buying his tomatoes. <laughs> so... Um, Richard had a growing background, and my both my sets of grandparents were wonderful growers, and I just loved being outside from a very early age. And when I was a child, um, Dad and Mum looked after my their cousin's farm in Paparoa, and that was the best holiday I ever had as a kid. Mm. Um, they had a little farm dog, and he was mine. I had a pair of gum boots, and I was just out the door every day. And I think to be working on the land and working with animals and growing, it's a privilege. It's wonderful. Did anyone tell you along the way, uh, question your um, sanity and choices in deciding to take on such a big challenge? Um, yeah, some people thought we were a bit bananas. I think a lot of people thought we'd fail. They thought we were very idealistic, and we were. Um, and, you know, <laughs> people would always say, oh, how the business is going, like, like, like in a funereal tone, you know, like everything's going to be coming down on your head by now, isn't it? But that stopped. <laughs> that stopped after a while. Um, 
uh, people people are happy for us, I think. And, and and as we've grown, of course, we've involved more and more local people in our businesses, and that's really nice. So, you've you, as the business grows, you've got other people around you that a good team, you know, and and so you just get stronger. Were there things you know that were harder than you'd expected them to be? Um, financially, yeah. very stressful. Um, the thing to do is just you just don't spend money on silly stuff. You know, you go home, cook a good feed, and enjoy that. Um, time, not much time. So we didn't have much of a social life. We spent it with our kids if we had spare time. You know, with the market, when my kids were wee, they had to come down to the market and. You know, they'd spend a lot of time in the back room uh, during the market, but then they both they grew up with the market. The storeholders all know them. They worked at the market. Um, they've watched them grow, so it wasn't such a bad thing. Um, you know, we had nights where we'd have a failed cheese make, and the kids, would, I'd have to pack them in the car and put a mattress in the office and make cheese all night. You just had to do what you had to do. They're okay, I think, so far. (laughs) There's something amazing about growing up, seeing your parents making things happen, I think. I think so. And I think the kids are quite proud of what we've done. Um, I don't know if they'll be involved in the business. I've I've kept that completely open. They have their own choices to make in life. Um, And I want them to just do what they want to do. Yeah, but uh, but you yeah, know they've certainly been on board. You know they've seen us stressed, um, but that's reality, isn't it? Yeah. What scale is the business now, and what what are the plans? Next? The plans. Um, well, you know, we're now um, we've now got more inner peace than we've ever had. Um, it's it's at a point now where we've got a good we've got a good team, as I said, we've got a good range of products, and we're poised to grow into the next the next level. I think for Richard and I, we've always had a dream of owning our own farm. Uh, we lease lease our farms, and they're beautiful farms. Um, but ultimately, I would love to have everything on one property, and I'd I'd love to have a, like the buffalo farm. Um, a, a heritage garden, a little bistro maybe with a chef involved, um, maybe just open over the weekends. I'd like to have I, – I, I potter around with a bit of pottery and stuff. I'd like to have my studio there. I'd like to be growing old on the farm because on a farm there's always something going on. And, you know, I'm sure when I'm in my 80s I'll be able to whip up a mean batch of scones for the milkers. And I think just being involved would be quite cool. So, yeah, I guess that's a goal. Mm. What advice would you give to people who, uh, yeah, like like want to start making things happen? Because that does seem to be quite a lot to make happen all at once. The, the, the markets with all those moving parts and also starting something so new with the, the, the cheese in the country. But yeah, what, what, what's the kind of thread that can help people make things happen like that? I think um, you've got to be prepared to do a lot of stuff yourself. You know, like you can't send out the laundry. You've got to do everything yourself. Save money where you can. Back yourself. And if you if you run into a roadblock, just pause, take a deep breath and think about it because there's always another way around things. So I guess having some tenacity, backing yourself, and if you get free advice from someone who's done a startup, who's built a business, listen to them. You know, don't, don't listen to them because they know it's it, it's all the same processes, just in a different wearing different overcoats. You know, um, 
uh, yeah, I, I think back yourself um, and don't spend money on silly stuff. Um, as spend it on on the things that matter, and um, and be prepared to be in for the long haul. And if there's if there's two of you, one of you should keep your job for a little while and keep the money coming in, <laughs> because you're not going to make it straight away, unless you're one of those people that somehow seem to be blessed with the Midas touch and invent some internet thing that makes millions overnight. Mm-hmm. I I don't know anyone like that, but it does seem to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, with these two 15 year overnight successes. That's <laughs> <laughs> the one, yeah. Yeah, like, um, you know, they've both become like the, the, the Clifton Farmers Market is kind of part of the culture of Auckland now. And the, the, um, the cheese that's especially is, you know, such a mainstay in, in food here. Like, um, s- such kind of successful things to have created. Like, how do you define success? Um, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Um, I think. It's a really hard one to answer, but for me, with terms of the business, um, it's sustainable. We've got a great team of people around us. We now know the right people that we need. We need people that 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 are prepared to give, give and take. You know, like it's 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 a mutual thing. That they're growing, we're growing. Um, it's all it's all about building that business and them. Um, uh, success is, uh, you know, being able to pay the bills on time, every time. That's really important in business. You don't let your suppliers down. You know, it's not fair. Um, and also having a future, you know, and being excited about what you do. I, I couldn't bear to be doing a business where you're just churning out the same thing because it makes money. How boring is that, you know? To be to be to have a business where you're so excited and there's so many different directions you can go in and grow it, that's that's really cool. And also, um, I said to Richard when we started, as long as we can keep our health, our marriage, and a roof over our head, I'll do anything, you know. And and so if you can if you if you if if you can keep your home together. That's really important. Yeah, don't sacrifice your personal relationships. It's yeah. not worth it. <laughs> That's so wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. No That's worries. <laughs> Helen Dorostein, who's the co-founder of the Clevedon Farmers Markets and the Buffalo Cheese Company. Thank you very much to Tina Tiller for producing. And thank you very much for having us along and listening. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callaghan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.